I want to take this time to welcome you once again to A Voice in the Distance Ministries as we are continuing to venture through the Bible, through the Gospel of Luke. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today. And what a joyous chapter this one's going to be. And again, anytime we look at anything that the Lord has to say, it's a joyous thing to us believers because we rely solely on all things that He says. And we're going to be looking at, uh, at some very important things of prayer. And, and I love the aspect of prayer. I love the teaching of prayer because that is one of the most profound and one of the most diverse teachings we can do. If I were to, to do a, sermons on prayer, it, it would go beyond one or two sermons. It could, it could be numerous sermons in regards to the aspect of prayer and the importance of prayer. But, you know, sometimes... Sometimes, you know, we, we look at certain people that we want to pray for us or with us, pray for us. And I was reading something about a particular uh, athlete. He was, a, um, he was a former New York Yankees second baseman by the name of Bobby Richardson. And he was in a group of, of Christian athletes who met in a group, uh, a group prayer session. And Bobby Richardson was asked to pray, and in his response, what Richardson uttered was basically 11 powerful and profound words, which said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, amen. And Jesus, you know, he told the story of a man who prayed uh, very similar, a simple but very powerful prayer. And we're going to be looking at a very unpopular person than that of a tax collector <laughs> you know and, and someone with the of the religious people of, of the day viewed the 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 distrust of a taxpayer who, who spoke or, or prayed even just a few words they, they wouldn't want to hear it but again perhaps no one else has ever uttered a more sincere or powerful prayer of the tax collector we're going to read from just as this popular or at least popular possibly within the Yankees fans. <laughs> but again when we pray God wants us to come to him and place those important issues of our lives before him. See we cannot impress him with our words or or with that self of sense self importance that sense of self importance that we have. I've always said before, there's two people who know us best, okay? And, and the, the first person is you yourself who knows you better than anyone, but the one who knows you better than you yourself is God himself who created you. And so he knows us better than we know ourselves, and he just wants us to say the words that come straight from the heart. You know, whether it be the exclamations of the pure joy or the tears that come from broken parts of our lives, whatever the case. Because a true man or a woman of prayer simply and sincerely bows before God and pours out his heart or her heart. And while this is not always the most natural or easiest thing to do, it is exactly what God is looking for. And so, to simply have a conversation with God, tell him about yourself. <laughs> Even though he knows it, what, what you feel, what you desire and need, you know, not, not forgetting to include, include those concerns about other people and in intercessory prayer. Because he'll gladly hear and answer the simple and sincere, sincere petitions of a true man or woman of prayer. James chapter 5, one of my favorite verses that I quote often, that the 
fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And again, from another quote from another gentleman by the name of Thomas Aquinas, what he had said in a prayer, somebody who wasn't quite as well known, but he says, Bestow upon me, O Lord my God, understand to know thee, diligence to seek thee, wisdom to find thee, and a faithfulness that may finally embrace thee. And I noticed what he'd said there in the context. It was never I, it was thy. <laughs> it was never me, it was thee. And we don't need to pray in, in the old English of what we would call Elizabethan style English to impress God with articulate speech. He's looking for, a, for just a heart of truth in a conversation with ones he loves, which is every one of us. So I want you to venture with me into Luke chapter 18 because, man, it's going to get interesting. It's going to get really interesting in regards to two people that God would use as an example of what to be and what not to be. To the public eye, the one, the one that would be looking good prayed in the way that God would not want. But in the public eye, the one that was hated was praying in the way that God would want fashioned. Let's turn to chapter 18 as we, as we are going to observe verses 1 through 8 first. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, there was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he, uh, will he really find faith on the earth? So we've been reminded to pray without ceasing. That was from the Apostle Paul, through the good and the bad times. And if there's something I've learned walking with God in prayer, is that we easily fall into the ways of praying only when there's desperate need. We lose the passion of just saying, Hello, Lord, it's good to be with you right now. It's just good to be with you right here and right now. But again, you know, the Lord gives us some important lessons on prayer, even outside of the model prayer. You remember that one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you know. And, and he brings us the insight of how the Lord operates when prayer is lifted up to him. That when we ask for something from a parent with tears or maybe even persistence, they can fall for it at times. But the Lord cannot be snowed. <laughs> Repetitive and long drawn out prayer does not necessarily mean results. You know, God's not moved by a squeaky wheel that always gets the grease. But he is moved by true and passionate prayer. 
Praying for his will in the situation is by all means a faithful and trusting attribute. Now, this widow was a squeaky wheel to an ungodly official. He gave in by annoyance to where God gives to us by love and concern because he is perfectly just as he is sovereign. And we look at the two most vulnerable people in biblical times were typically widows and orphans. Those were the two most uh, um, vulnerable people that had a lot of issues to pray for. But if anyone had passion on them, it would be God. You know, delays in our prayers may seem scary and discouraging. But it can be used in a transforming of good, especially when we have rode the wave that led us to shore. And even though this widow was consistent with the unjust judge, he finally gave in. Uh, the glory would go to God, though, see. Not on the persistence of the widow and not on the weakness or even the humanity of the judge, but on the guiding hand of God. I look at the book of Esther, you know, which is the, which is the one book in the Bible that, that does not mention God's name anywhere. But if you've ever read the book of Esther, his guiding hand was all over the place. You know, have you ever gone somewhere... Um, Maybe on a hike somewhere and uh, where there's trees or big rocks, people would write on the walls or on a, or on a rock or a tree saying that um, so-and-so was here. You know, uh, Jill and Bob was here. <laughs> and even in the Persian Empire in Iran where, where this took place with Esther, we can imagine the name of God stamped and sealed on every area within that kingdom. God was here. God was there. God was everywhere. He is omnipresent. And there, but see, the thing with Esther was that there wasn't any repetition in prayer that we've seen from the scriptures. But what we did see was that there was fasting. There was prayer. And most of all, there was faith in God. And though his name wasn't mentioned once in the book of Esther, his hand was completely visible. And that's where the encouragement comes in, is because, no, we don't see God, which is where faith comes in. But we know his hand is there. His hand be upon us. And again, countless people in the Bible, especially like that in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, what we like to call the Hall of Faith, is a wonderful example of those things. But you see... Again, we're looking at the standard bearer here of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus who gives us the examples here in our Gospel of Luke. Now let's take a look at this other parable because now it's going to get interesting. In verse, um, in verse 9 to 14, or I'm sorry, yes, that should be 9 to 14 here where we're looking at. As he brings up two figures, public figures. But as we continue to look at like this unjust judge, if an unjust judge can respond to constant pressure, how much more will our loving father willingly give to us when we ask for in truth? And in the truth of the matter, we at times think that God didn't hear us, which is why we pray over and over. You know, yes, once is enough. And he did hear the first time, but he, he will do it on his time. He loves hearing from us, though. <laughs> Some may think that he delays things to keep us in prayer. I don't know, but that should never be the case on our part. You know, Jesus himself made known that God will avenge his own who cry out to him, though he bears long with them. And if you're a regular listener, 
then again, you will hear that quote that I said uh, earlier in James chapter 5, verse 16, that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I will always repeat that because that is something I've tried to embed in my mind and heart. And first and foremost, our righteousness is based on our faith. And then second, the righteousness is, is based on, our, uh, on the attribute of our godly actions and which makes us righteous, which comes after faith. And the, and the Lord was making known that when he returns, will he find true faith on earth with the question? And that is an interesting question because this parable was not a comparison with the judge and God, but it was a differential in it between the two. The Lord makes known that we have access to a perfect judge who will not ignore his own. We have access to the throne. Now, the widow had many oppositions. First, being a widow, and second, being a woman who had second-class citizenship in ancient Israel. She didn't let that stop her from seeking justice from a judge who, who would care less about her well-being. So again, how much more will God care, and how much more will he do for his own? And we are quick to give up when prayers are not answered quickly, okay? And eventually prayers stop altogether. And that's the danger in that of lack of patience. We lack patience when yet God is patient with us, you know. Why not show him the same love in that form? You know, he wants us to throw up the prayers, not throw in the towel. And I, with everyone else, am preaching that in reminder because I am of you while God is above me and you because we both pray to the same Father. And so again, the importance of those things was just again the simple reminder of, of continual prayer. Nothing wrong with it. I find myself continuing to ask for things. And there's times where he does eventually say, it is not in my will, and he will show me. And we need to accept those closed doors, because sometimes we try to find ourselves forcing our way through a door that we should not have gone through. And, and people might refute that, and they can go right ahead, because I, I along many others, can attest to who have done that and have paid for it. But by the mercy of God, he got me through it, but unfortunately some scars were had. So always, again, may we rely on him because it is first and foremost him that shows us the way if we rely on him first. You know, read the Proverbs, read, read the Psalms, read those books that, that show the importance of, of asking and seeking God first before doing anything. It's all over the Bible. And so we could continue to see certain things here as we're going to now venture into 9 to verse 14. Within the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Here's where it gets interesting. And it says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and, and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed, thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, the, the Lord brings up these two public figures, okay, the Pharisee and the tax collector. One praised himself, and the other humbled himself. When one, to, when, uh, one of them went to pray, and the other to praise, and not God, but to praise himself. And I have found the instruction and warnings of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes to be very useful as one who is pouring out his heart in regards to an ungodly life of a fallen man. And I think it's, I think it's uh, very important to remember Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, which says, Walk prudently when you go into the house of God, and draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Which goes to show with another saying I heard once, which kind of um, goes parallel with this, that it's better to be quiet and be thought of, of a fool than it is to speak up and erase all doubt. And, and it was well known that the Pharisees would pray such things in public even. They would thank God that they were born a man, number one, and not a woman, and that they are not Gentiles or tax collectors. That was a very common public prayer. That they were better than everyone else in their own eyes. And it would have been a humbling thing as the Pharisee and the tax collector standing next to each other in the temple, or, or at least close enough to, together in the temple in prayer, as the Pharisee said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. And then it would have been interesting to hear God's voice, you know, appear and said and say, no, you're not like him. He's better. <laughs> you know, it would it'd be a shock, I'm sure, but it would be a definite eye opener. Tax collectors then would purposely rip off their own, you know, and, but there could have been some that did right. Far and few, but possibly some. You know, Matthew was a tax collector, and, and, and I'm not sure how he did business, but he was in the right line of work when working for the Lord instead. And this tax collector was, was now in line with the Lord when he said that prayer. And as I, as I read from Ecclesiastes, it said it was, it was better to draw near to hear than to give the sacrifice of a fool. Because sacrifices were done because of sinful downfalls. All of the things the Pharisee was doing was great, fasting, tithing and all, but he was shooting his high-powered machine gun, riddling bullets all over the place and completely missing the target. While the tax collector shot once and hit the bullseye with that one thing. And that one thing was, was humility. Let's, let's call it two things. Humble repentance. Let's combine them both. And if there's something that even the, the godliest of people can learn from, uh, the tax collector, and, and that was his prayer. And, that, and then it was his outlook of his imperfect ways. You know, self-righteousness prevents learning from God. And therefore, it prevents drawing near to him. What, what we can learn from the tax collector in his prayer is that the need of his mercy and grace is needed every day. And, and we've seen it in two different books, from, both, uh, from the epistles from Peter and James. 
And both of them said the same exact thing, that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And there's nothing wrong with going to church and feeling good, but it's better to go there and leave feeling right with God. When you're right with God, you can you can feel not not just, you know, better about yourself. You're going to feel you're going to feel good. You're going to feel right. You're going to feel better than ever when we're right with God. And so when we look at verse 15 to 17, now we're really going to see something important here. And it's that of children. And it says, Then they also brought infants to him, that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them for such, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. I remember reading in a previous chapter, actually, how Jesus, when he was teaching to a crowd, uh, he actually took a little boy that was right there in the crowd and he put him on his lap and said the same exact thing. That to enter the kingdom, you must be like this child. And we can go to Luke chapter 2 after the birth of Christ and see in the end of the chapter that even Jesus himself was brought to the temple for dedication by Mary and Joseph who were his earthly parents. But the, the disciples are acting as if it, if it was a hindrance of the Lord's time when he made it an essential of his time and presence. It was very common for parents to bring their infants to the, uh, to the rabbi uh, to pray in dedication of their child to the synagogues or to the temple. And in fact, if the parents of the disciples were obedient and disciplined Jews, they were dedicated as infants as well. But we can see that the times, or at times the disciples were being childish when Christ was wanting us to be childlike. <laughs> There's a big difference. We're called to be childlike, not childish. And I preached before that I actually recall my childhood and my mindset compared to my, my teenage and adult years. I have seen in myself and I've seen in others decline in, in mankind as we got older. It's not how it should be, but that's what happened. We, we've been told to grow up. Well, when we did grow up, we got worse, okay? Because that's when we started to develop uh, prejudice. That's when people de develop the, uh, the ability to gossip, the ability to hate, ones who cause division and wars, and the list goes on. It's done typically by teenage years to even sometimes elderly ages and all ages in between. I don't recall ever that happening as a young little child. And I understood what Christ meant by this when I examined my life and the life of mankind around because you don't see divisions in the church stemming from the children's ministry. It's typically from the leadership and it's typically from the adults in the crowd and at times from the, from the teenage to the young adult groups. You don't see the violence in young children and toddlers who start wars or fights over carnal things. It's typically by the teenagers to the adults to even the elderly. And, and not long ago, I, I read on the news about a 16-year-old girl who was, uh, who was lured into a bathroom at her high school. 
and she was attacked over a boy by two or three others. And this young girl, 16 years old, died at the hospital. And it was all over a boy who was going to move on with his life while two or three girls ruined their lives while a beautiful young lady with complete potential lost her life. See, this is a plea at whatever age that you are to come to Christ. And then there's another plea, which is to make sure you allow the Lord to touch and bless your children and to teach them about Jesus. Because if you have children or if you have grandchildren, you should never have to ask, what is my ministry? That is always your ministry. But keeping our children from the Lord is like depriving them of air or, or, or water. May you and they them be in, the, in a Bible teaching, spirit-led church. And more important, may your home be that. Because 1-5% to 5 of your time is in church. And that is for normal attendees. But as Christ said, for such as they are the kingdom of God. And by that, he was making them known as model citizens in the kingdom of God. So how would you like to be that? No matter how old you might be. You can be eight years old. An age of understanding. And an age of understanding. Good and bad. And understanding the feeling of what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. You can be 20, you can be 60, you can be 90. And the time is now to receive Him. Because, again, He made those little children into an example of model citizens in the kingdom of God. I'd like to be a model citizen in God's kingdom. And I'm, I'm working on that with the time that he's giving me, and I pray that uh, together we can do that. So I want to give you an invitation to receive the Lord as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you an invitation to, to get to know him and to get to be a part of him. And how do I do that? Well, that's simple. There is a simple prayer of acceptance and repentance that must be done in order to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is your proclamation of saying that I both believe and receive Him. So if you feel led by the Holy Spirit, and if you feel led by the power of God's Word, not by anything I said, only because of the words that were repeated of that of Christ Jesus, will you be able to be led to the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because when it's all said and done, will you be able to say right here and now that I'm going to be able to go to heaven if something were to happen today or tomorrow? Well, if you say this prayer and receive Him in your heart, that is your assurance. And you can rest in that assurance that if you've said that prayer and if you said it truth in your heart, then you will be with Him when your time comes. So let's say the prayer together. Father, Lord, please forgive me. 
Please forgive me of all of my sins. I confess, Lord, to you that I am a sinner. And Lord, I ask for you to cleanse me of my sins. And Lord, for you to receive me into your kingdom when my time comes, Lord. Lord, at this time I receive you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. And as my Father. And I ask you, Lord, to bless my life, Lord, as I now walk with you. And may I stay close with you at all times. I thank you for dying for my sins. I thank you for having me. And I ask, Lord, that you would, again, receive me now as one of yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, the power is in the Word of God. And if there's, two found, if there's two things to look within the foundation and within the pillars of all things, whether it be in your church or your home, the Word of God is the foundation, and prayer are the pillars. And it's those two things which hold things together in your church, in your home, in your personal life. So, I, I, I ask you again to continue to seek Him and, and to make sure that you're doing those things in truth. And he'll be with you. So make sure you're standing close at all times. Because I've always found that God listens to those who are always a little closer to him. May God bless you.